Would you please open with me the second letter of Apostle Paul to Timothy, uh, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 8 through to 14. Second Timothy 8. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through to 14. This is the word of God. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Thank you, Yosef. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, we plead with you to teach us by your Holy Spirit. Because of your great kindness toward us, open our eyes, and not just to seeing, but to perceiving, and open our ears, not just to hearing, but to understanding. And Lord, I pray that as we perceive and understand that we would be changed, and that it would impact how we live, it would impact the way we contribute to the life of your church, and it would change the way we share your gospel in a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that you would give us a singular devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us moment by moment, day by day, to remember him, to remember his sacrifice, to remember his resurrection, to remember his lineage, to remember the promises of the gospel that have been secured by his death and resurrection. Lord, please have mercy on us and help us to walk in the Spirit together for the building up of this church, for the declaration of your gospel in this city, around the world, for your glory. All things for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever sat down to pray and then you start thinking about your shopping list instead of praying? Or you think about whatever it was that you were watching on Netflix or if you still have regular TV, TV, 
Uh, or maybe you sat down to open your Bible and you said, I'm really going to do it. I'm going to actually get through this whole passage. I'm going to read it. And you're halfway down and you, you realize, I, I've been reading the words, but they haven't been sticking in my mind. And so you go back and you start at the top again and you're going down and you're halfway down to, the, to where you had been before and you're like, things are going well. And then you start praising yourself for how well you're uh, retaining what you're reading and then you realize you're back to where you were. And that second half of what you had previously read, uh, you have not understood or retained because you were congratulating yourself on how well you had retained what you had just read. This happened to me. It happens to me all the time. And I have to just sort of stop and I have to start over and sort of reset. Have you ever wanted to just take what you've heard from the preaching of the Word and, and, and you leave on a Sunday morning and say, I'm going to change. I'm going to allow that to wash over me and I'm going to be a new person. And, and then later in the week you find, I'm just not changed. I'm in the same rut that I was in before. Yeah. I've had all of these. I mean, am I the only one? This happens to us, right? We're, we're so easily distracted. It's so easy for us to, to have good intentions, and then for whatever reason, it just it eludes us, and we can't hold on to it, and it's, it's very challenging. Well, today's text deals with some of that. Now, the immediate context isn't sitting down to pray. It's not trying to read the Bible. It's not trying to apply the text. Uh, but there is a distraction that is common to church experience. There is a, a distraction that is common to life in the local church. A and as you'll see behind me, the, the macro context of where we're gone, going, the immediate context for, for today's verse is one such distraction, which is opposition conflict in the local church that can be distracting and, and so we can have all these good intentions but if we're not at peace with one another uh, it's really hard to do the work of the gospel so you'll see and you don't need to worry about all of this this just gives you sort of a, a macro idea a big picture view of the book the book is divided into two halves we're coming to the end of the first major section in the book of second timothy and, and in this first major section the whole point of the letter is how do we endure opposition how do we endure opposition now next week we're going to start the second major section of the book, the second of two, and that is how do we address resistance and opposition in the local church. But today we're talking about enduring, and so there's three subsections that we will look at, or that we have looked at. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've said when there is resistance and opposition in the church, you've got to keep going. You just have to keep going. Continue, endure it, keep going, and and try to remember why it was that you came into the church in the first place and don't be distracted last week we took a look at the second part of enduring resistance and opposition and that is get busy don't just uh, keep going but you have to keep going and do what you were called to do do the great commission make disciples get busy doing the work of making disciples now Paul comes to this part, uh, last part of this first major section, and he says in order for these two first exhortations to make any sense, keep going and get busy with the work of making disciples, he rounds it off and he says 
if you're going to endure opposition and resistance in the context of the local church, the only way that you have any chance of success is if you remember Jesus Christ. There's no greater solution to enduring resistance and opposition than remembering Jesus Christ. Now remember, uh, uh, resistance and opposition is just one kind of distraction. And so as we get into the text, the immediate context is uh, enduring opposition and strife in the local church. But this instruction is more broadly applicable. If you find that you sit down to pray and your mind wanders away, how do you refocus so that you can pray? If you sit down to read the Bible and you want to sort of retain what you have read, how can you refocus your mind? If you're in the middle of the week and you find that you've got yourself back into the same old rut that you've been in for weeks and months and years and the preaching of the Word isn't changing your life, how do you get yourself out of the rut? Well, for all of these whether it's resistance and opposition, prayer, Bible study, applying the Word of God to your life, the most foundational thing that we can do as Christians day by day, moment by moment, is to remember Jesus Christ. So we're going to be talking within the, the uh, main context of the letter, which is resistance and opposition. But I just at the very uh, front of this message want to encourage you to always remember Jesus Christ, even when things are going well in the local church. Let's not forget the one who purchased us with his blood. But for today, the question is, how does a person endure opposition? How does a person endure resistance? It's all about keeping the right perspective. And today's instruction is all about perspective. So we are now at the 18th instruction for the church. And it comes in, in this passage, and the instruction is this. Focus on Jesus Christ and on the promises of the gospel. If you want to walk in victory in, in Christian life, if you want to see a resurgence in your prayer life, if you want to get the most of your reading of the Bible, if you want to persevere through difficult times in the church, at home, at work, in the world, then focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on the promises of the gospel and allow everything else to be secondary at best. Allow it all to just fade away. Well, when do we do this? When do we focus on Jesus Christ? When you wake up in the morning, before you get out of bed, before you reach for your iPhone or your smartphone, before you check your email, before you go to Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook, remember Jesus Christ. When you go to bed at night, don't let your phone or your tablet or your computer be the last thing that goes through your mind as you close your eyes to rest in Christ. Remember Him. And before meals, it's a good way, just while I'm about to eat something, I'm going to remember Jesus Christ. When you're uh, greeting friends and co-workers and family members, doesn't need to be a long prayer. You don't even have to pray, but remember Jesus Christ. When you have a, a, a test at school 
or a challenge at work or a difficult social relationship that you have to sit down and deal with. Remember Jesus Christ. And all of the promises of the gospel. This, this has to become the heartbeat of every Christian. And you know, this simple, simple exhortation, this simple instruction changes lives, it changes families, it changes churches, it changes the world. And unfortunately, I could speak for myself, but I imagine I'm not the only one. Sometimes days can come and go and I haven't remembered Jesus Christ, at least not deeply. I've read the Bible again and I haven't paused to remember Jesus Christ. I've tried to pray and I haven't really stopped to remember Jesus Christ. I've, I've thanked God for the food, amen. I've, I've thanked Him for the day. I've thanked Him for whatever. Uh, but it, it's just sort of rote. So let's just pause right now before we go any further. And whatever it means to you at this point, and now the rest of the text will be, what does it mean to remember Jesus Christ? But for whatever it means for you right now, let's just pause and remember why we're here. Why did you get out of bed this morning? Why did you get yourself ready and come here? And Why are you sitting here? Have you yet paused in your day? Even when we were singing beautiful worship songs, did you, while we were singing the songs, remember Jesus Christ. Let's just pause. Let's remember Him, who He is, what He's done, and what He has promised for us. Lord, even when we try to remember you, it's sometimes hard. We're so weak. So we pray, please help us. Because we know that this is the source of all joy and every good gift comes when we remember Jesus Christ. And the distractions and the pains and the uh, suffering in our life, will even that will melt away in the face of your glory and grace. Help me as I continue to preach Jesus, my Christ. Amen. 2 Timothy 2, 8 is a profound verse. Let's take a look at it. Remember Jesus, the Christ, risen from the dead the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Simple enough, isn't it? Remember Jesus, the Christ, the the one raised from the dead, the offspring of David. That's my gospel. Remember the gospel. And if you're remembering Him, then everything that flows out from Him and, and, and again, just to remind us, the, the, the context here is Timothy, things aren't going well at church. Well, just don't worry about it. Remember the one who called you. Remember the one who saved you. Remember the one who will raise your dead body from the grave. Remember him. 
He's the king. He's the Christ. Remember him. Everything else doesn't matter. Paul, in this verse, gives us three things that we are to remember about Jesus. And uh, the way I read it, I highlighted them. Number one, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Number two, he was risen from the dead. And number three, he's the offspring of David. These are three really important aspects to who Jesus is. So when we are remembering Jesus Christ, we need to pause to remember these things about him. And so let's take a look at the first one. Jesus is the Christ. We can, we can get so we just sort of say Jesus Christ and it becomes a long name. Christ sometimes becomes like his surname. It's, it's not. He would have been known by Jesus, son of Joseph. Often he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. When you say that he is Jesus Christ, you're saying that he is the Messiah. Christ is the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. You're saying he's the one that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to. He's the one that God has promised us. He is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised to give us. He is, so when you say that he is the Christ, when you say that he is the Messiah, you say he's the offspring of Abraham. Well, what, what does that matter? Well, 2,000 years before Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the son of Joseph, was born to Mary, God made a promise to a man named Abram. And he said, Abram, I'm going to rename you Abraham. He does later. He doesn't say it in, in this passage. Because Abraham means the father of many. And he says, through you, Abram, every family on earth will be blessed. He's the offspring of Abraham. It is through this offspring that every family on the face of the earth has access to blessing. And what kind of blessing are we talking about? Well, the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham understood this, and he wasn't looking for a city on earth. He wasn't looking for earthly blessing, but he was looking for a city whose builder and founder is God. He was looking for a heavenly dwelling. He was looking for an eternal security. He was looking for life everlasting. And we're told that Jesus is the one through which this blessing is available, not just to Israel, but to all nations, to you and to me. So when you say that Jesus is the Christ, He is the gateway to blessing. No one is blessed but by Christ. When you say that Jesus is the Christ, you're saying that he is the true prophet that Moses spoke of and promised. When Moses says, you know, the Lord has spoken through me and he has given his law through me, but there is a prophet to come and God will speak through him and the fullness of God's revelation will be made known through him. Uh, when you say that Jesus is the Christ, you say that one greater than Moses has come. The law came through Moses and that's great. But grace and truth has come through the Christ, Jesus. And we're told that he is the very image of the invisible God. And if, if Jesus were to walk through that door and come up here and stand before us, and you gaze into the face of Jesus, you would behold your God and your maker. That's what you're saying when you say that Jesus is the Christ. When you say that Jesus is the Christ, you're saying that he is the true Joshua. And Jesus' name is Joshua. Jesus is just the Greek version of Joshua. The name means the Lord saves. 
Moses didn't lead the people into the promised land. Joshua did. And, and when you say that Jesus is the Christ, what you're saying is just as Joshua led God's people from, uh, from wilderness wandering, which is what we're doing now, into the eternal promised land, or into the promised land, so also Jesus, our Joshua, the Christ, will lead us over the Jordan River of death raise us back to life and give us the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal promised land. That's what you mean when you say that Jesus is the Christ. When you say that Jesus is the Christ, you're saying that He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The one born of a virgin who would prove that God is faithful to all His promises. When you say that Jesus is the Christ, you're saying He's the suffering servant. Well, people looked on him and they didn't notice that he was God wrapped in human flesh. But he was. But he was crucified. And by his wounds we are healed. On him all the sin of the world was laid. If you but call him the Christ, your sin is forgiven. He's the suffering servant. When you say that Jesus is the Christ, you say that He is the Son of Man that stands beside the Ancient of Days, God the Father. And God the Father bestows on Him, according to Daniel 7, all authority in heaven and on earth forever and ever. And the Son of Man will come on the clouds. He will take back the world. He will set up an, an eternal kingdom and when you say that Jesus is the Christ, you're saying He's the one that will return for me. He will take back the world. He will raise my body from the dead and I will live in His kingdom forever. Now what have you watched on Netflix this week that compares with that? What church squabble compares with that? Remember that Jesus is the Christ, the fulfillment of every Old Testament messianic promise. Now, if Jesus is all this, and I, I mean, I barely scratch the surface of what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. There's the Old Testament. And that, that collection of ancient literature is filled with messianic promises. I just scratched the surface. When we see that Jesus is the yes to every one of God's promises, uh, what is there to bring us down? What, what opposition is there that could sink us? Why am I so easily distracted? Are you? We can stand confident because Jesus is the Christ. And if we remember that, bring on all of the suffering. Bring on the opposition. Bring on the resistance. I'm going to stand for Christ and I'm going to fight for Him in the church and I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to fight for Him. I'm going to declare His name and I'm not going to be ashamed of Him because He's the Christ. And if, if He is the yes to all of God's promises, 
how can anyone bring me down? Do you see, do you see the power in this exhortation and in this instruction? And, and Paul wants that for Timothy. He wants it for me. He wants it for us. So we need to take it for us. Now, just notice how, uh, go down to the halfway through verse 12. If you take a look at this trustworthy saying in verse 11, this, this saying is trustworthy, and these are applications for us, and they match up with the three things about him being the Christ, him being uh, raised from the dead, and him being the offspring of David. At the second half of verse 12, we're told what happens if we forget that Jesus is the Christ. If we deny him, what? He'll deny us. What does it mean to deny Christ? It means to deny that he is the Christ. It, it means to forget that he is the Christ. If we uh, allow ourselves to be distracted by lesser things and, and we go out into the church or into the world and we deny that he is the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, if we deny him, he will deny us before the Father. And, and what's in view here is the final judgment. Uh, there is coming a day when, when we will stand before this Messiah of ours and he will look to us and he'll say, did you remember that I was the Christ? In your heart, before men, before women, in the church, in the world? Or did you deny me? And if we deny him, he will deny us, and he will say to us, and he will say to the Father, I don't know this one. Now, I think I know what you might be thinking. That's pretty harsh. Well, Paul also knew that that was pretty harsh. But before we move on and soften it, I want us to feel the power of that. This is, what, what this denial is talking about, it flows from a heart that deep down doesn't recognize uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. It's, it's a deep, heartfelt denial of the messianism of Jesus, saying he's not really the Christ. He's, he may be an angel, he might be a great prophet, he might be a good teacher, but he's not the Christ. He's not the yes to all of God's promises. That's what that, if you deny him, he will deny you. Here's the good news. Uh, that's harsh. The good news, every one of us will be faithless at some time in our life. Every one of us will back away from him at some point. Every one of us will be faithless at some point. I've been faithless. You have been faithless. I'll be faithless again, and you'll be faithless again. We will forget who Jesus is. Which is good news for this, right? If we are faithless, we're not denying him, but we have moments of weakness, moments of forgetfulness. The good news is he remains faithful. He said he's going to save you by grace through faith. He will do it. And, and the good work that he has started in you, he will bring, bring to completion on that last day. So long as you don't deny him. If in your heart you, do, you recognize that he is the Christ, even in those moments of faithlessness, he will remain faithful to his promise to save you. Why? Because he cannot deny himself and he's made a promise. So that's good news. But my challenge to us is 
deep down, do you know that He is the Christ? If you haven't yet got to that place, then the second half of verse 12 stands. If you get to that last day and you stand before Christ and deep down you haven't decided whether or not He's the Messiah or not, that He will deny you before the Father. Moving on. That would be enough, wouldn't it? Jesus is the Christ. God, God is true to His Word. All of the promises that He has given, He has brought to fulfillment and will continue to fulfill in the second coming of Christ. But there's more. <laughs> it's amazing that there's more. Uh, remember, Jesus, not just that He is the Christ, but also that He has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. In order to remember that Jesus was raised from the dead, we have to remember that He was crucified. And so this whole idea of remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead is remember the foundations of the gospel. Remember that, that being the Christ, being perfect God in human form, Jesus came with a mission to die for sinners. That, that his whole reason for being born in the first place was to carry my sin and your sin uh, up to, to the, the hill of Golgotha and to nail our sin to the cross. You've got to remember that. And if he died for my sin, he also died for your sin. Just put what I said into your own mind. If he died for your sin, he died for the rest of our sin. There's only one death that has purchased each of us. So we have so much more in common than that would separate us. And so remember the context of the letter, resistance, opposition, strife, churning, fighting inside the church. But there's one Lord who died for us. Why would we cheapen that sacrifice by turning on one another. It makes no sense. I didn't die for you, and you didn't die for me. But the Lord Jesus Christ died for us all. So let's not fight with each other. Remember, I'm talking about the original context of the book, this passage. If we remember that Jesus died, remember that He is perfect God. It took on human form. It also puts our suffering in perspective, doesn't it? What suffering could compare with that? And so we are called to endure suffering. And in enduring suffering, for Jesus' sake, if that is our suffering, let us not suffer for being uh, sinners. But if we are truly suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, then let us suffer. And it puts it in perspective, and actually it ought to give us joy. The disciples counted it all joy that they were considered worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. I think we've lost that in the Canadian church. Consider it all joy that we're considered worthy or counted worthy by God to suffer for the sake of Jesus himself. 
But this is a sobering reality originally given to Timothy and now given to us. If our leader, our God and our King suffered for being faithful to the Father, then we will suffer for being faithful to Him. May it never be that that suffering comes from within the church. But having remembered his death, we're supposed to remember here that he's been risen from the dead. The death had no power over him. Uh, remember that God would not allow his Holy One to see decay. See decay. Uh, the, the body of Jesus was laid into the tomb. Our sins were buried with him. And then on the third day, his body was raised back to life. And, and why has that become sort of not that spectacular of news? And, and I grieve that in my own heart. I mean, I think about that. Yeah, he died and we rose again. That's amazing. That is absolutely astounding. And yet, if, I, if I'm being honest with you, it's not always that amazing to me. And that's when I just have to go back and I have to pray, Lord, help me to remember what this is really all about. Like, have I forgotten that I'm a sinner, that one day I will die? And, and that if, unless Jesus had been risen from the dead, that's it. At best, I go out of existence, but the Bible says I'm condemned forever and ever. Praise be to God that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he died for my sin, and then he was risen for my life. For your life, if you believe in Him, He was raised in glory and He'll never die again. And right now, Jesus is still a man. He's one of us. Likewise, if we put our faith in Him, though we will die because of sin, our bodies will die and we will sleep, our souls will go up to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the day that Jesus returns as the Son of Man on the clouds, as promised... He will call from heaven and He will require by the authority of His Word that our dead bodies rise. And our soul will be rejoined with our bodies and our bodies will not be raised in weakness, but our bodies will be raised in strength and immortality and glory. And we will live forever in this body, though glorified forever and ever. That's no small thing. Do you want to fight about the color of the carpet now? <laughs> and I say that because we've never argued about that, so it's a safe thing to bring up. But, but we could. We could argue about that. Or we could argue about all manner of things. But the fact remains, we will be raised from the dead. And, and just think about that moment. Uh, my soul is coming down with Jesus. My body is raised in glory. I'm back together with my glorified body. I'm not going to be thinking about all the silly little uh, quarrels that we had. Neither will you. So let's not quarrel. It just logically doesn't make sense. And yet, just I, I don't even have to talk about personal experience. In the Bible, churches fight. It's ridiculous. And it grieves the one who purchased us. Do you think it pleases Jesus? Do you think he died? so that we could be at odds with one another. 
He was raised in glory. Now, take a look how this connects with verse 11. The first part of this trustworthy saying. If we have died with Him, what? We will also live with Him. That's a promise. Remember that. Focus on Jesus Christ and the promises of the Gospel. First promise was what? If you don't deny Christ, even in your forgetful, faithless moments, He'll be faithful and He'll save you. Promise number two, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you keep your focus on Him, even though you die, you will live. And the death of your body now will just be a transition to a new and greater way of living. That's That's a great promise. We will be raised from the dead. You know, this, because we like to push death off and we don't like to think about death, this is great when you're not thinking about death, but be diagnosed with a terminal illness. See a loved one die. You can't ignore this then. You cannot ignore this promise then. It's either true or it's not, and it is. Now, if it's true then, it's true always. And if, if I were to die and you were to come to my funeral, I wouldn't want you to be fighting amongst yourself. I would want you to praise God about his resurrection. So while I'm alive, same thing. Let's join together for the cause of Christ. Thirdly, Jesus is the offspring of David. Now this is kind of uh, a nebulous thing for us. I mean, for, for the original audience, this is a big deal. If you're a Jewish, this is huge. You, you can't have a Messiah that is disconnected from David. Uh, but for the Gentile church, so we could sort of take or leave this part of the gospel, which to our shame, okay? Because we don't realize what it's all about. What, what, what this promise that Jesus is the offspring of David. And we're not going to go back and, and sort of unpack this in detail, but just to give you the thumbnail sketch, if you were to go to 2 Samuel 7, don't go there, I'm just going to give you the highlights. 2 Samuel 7, God says to David, Well, David wants to build a temple for God. And God says, David, you have way too small a view of what I'm doing in your life. You have no idea what what your kingship means. Not just to you, but to the whole world. I don't want you to build me a temple because that would totally distract from the bigness of the promises that I'm giving to you and to everyone else who has faith in me through your son. Just don't bother building me a brick-and-mortar temple. I'm fine in this tent tabernacle. I want to just highlight my glory through you. And this is what God says to David. I am going to raise up a house through your son. Now, that was fulfilled by Solomon. Solomon built a temple. But that's not really the the major fulfillment. The house that God is talking about is us. I'm going to raise up a house, a temple, a holy temple through your son, David, 
and that will be my dwelling. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And and he becomes the cornerstone of this eternal temple where the fullness of God dwells. Now get your head around this. We are living stones in that house because Jesus is the offspring of David. The one who builds builds the house. And what that means is the fullness of God dwells in us. And and we have sort of subjectively some experience with this now, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I would ask that we would pray that we would become more sensitive to His indwelling presence. To His filling of us for, for God's glory. But more than that, and this is the bigness of it, are you, like, prepare yourself, this is big. God has always been Father, Son, and Spirit, the three Persons of God have enjoyed this intimate, love-saturated, indivisible relationship one with another in one God forever and ever. And angels were created to sort of look upon that relationship, but they couldn't even look directly at God. So they kind of know that this reality of this triune God exists, but they... It's still kind of mysterious. They're not permitted to look on the face of God. Then the Son of God comes. Tear down this temple, rebuild it in three days. Makes us living stones. Not only are we going to see God face to face, but the love with which the Father has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father, and the Father has loved the Spirit, the Spirit, the Father, and the Spirit, the Son, the Spirit, uh, the Son, and the Father, all, you know, God forever. God says, I want you to come up into this relationship and partake. Be filled with the fullness of God. We don't become God, but... As the bride of Christ, we partake in this eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's amazing. That is, no angel is invited into the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit, but we are because Jesus is the offspring of David. And there's more. I mean, There's no bottom to this, and just so you know, I'm not going to get to the bottom of each of these things, but there's more. We're told that in 2 Samuel 7, it's about temples, but it's also about kings. And at the very end of that chapter, God says to David, "Uh, you're going to die, but I'm going to raise up your son after you, and he will reign on your throne forever. Forever. So when we say that Jesus is the offspring of David, he is the one that sits on the throne of David and reigns as king forever. God's done it. What does that mean? It means that every other power will be judged. Every other power will be humbled. Every other power will be put down. Except those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, and we will live forever in His kingdom. And what, you know what's great about Christ's kingdom? It's filled with justice. Are, are you getting tired of the injustice in the world? 
Well, Jesus' kingdom is filled with justice and righteousness. Are you getting tired of of the uh, lack of righteousness in yourself and in the world? It's filled with righteousness and mercy and love and grace. And I'm not done. Look at verse 12, the first part. This is the part of the gospel that connects in with this. If we endure, if we endure what? If we endure in the faith, in the context of this letter, if we endure until the end, uh, if we endure suffering even within the church, if we endure suffering outside of the church, we will also reign with Him. I don't even know what this means because it's too awesome. And I don't use the word awesome lightly. It's awesome. I don't know what it means. I can, I can sort of start out to explain it, but what in the world does it mean that we will reign with Christ? I don't know, but it's big. He is the king that sits on the throne of David. You think, well, there'd only be one king. And there is. He's at the top. No, no one uh, displaces Jesus Christ. He is the king. But we're going to reign with him. What, what is that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, we're told that we will judge angels. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds pretty spectacular. It means that we'll be above the angels. More than that, and humor me for a moment, God is a creative God, and we're going to live forever. I have no idea what God is going to do in a trillion years from now. I have no idea. But I know I will be there in the flesh because Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm going to be raised with him. And if, if God were to create some new order of things, the promise is I am going to be at the top with Christ, and so will you. There will never come an age in eternity future where we are not at the top with Christ. There's no creature that God is going to create in a trillion years or two trillion years or five trillion years that will come between us and Christ. We're at the top. So we, we enjoy what the angels don't enjoy, fellowship, love, relational union with Father, Son, and Spirit, and we reign with power over whatever it is that God chooses to do in the ages to come. Do you think the screen's too high? I was thinking it might be. Who cares? You see? It just, man, this puts things in perspective, doesn't it? That, to share personally now for a moment, that's why there are times that I as a pastor have wept for this church and other churches. Because it doesn't matter. And we, have, we are so far, when we get into these 
distracted moments, we are so far from focusing on what we ought to be focusing on. Now, praise be to God, like He's bringing us together, isn't He? You feel that? He's, he's knitting us together. He's bringing us together. And, and, and we're going to have such a strong core here at South Shore so that when people come in, and I, I'm praying that God would bring people in, but hopefully all kinds of people, and, and we're not going to allow ourselves to be distracted, and we're going to help them to catch a vision for what this is really all about, aren't we? And, and we're going to say, let's remember Jesus Christ. Let's focus on Him and, and all of the promises of the Gospel. Paradoxically, though, those who follow and proclaim this Jesus will suffer. Paul himself was imprisoned. Paul was about to be executed, but Paul had faith that no matter what happened to him, he wasn't going to lose focus. And so we need to imitate Paul. No matter what happens next month, next year, ten years from now, uh, inside or outside of the church, let us come back to this and say, I, I want to be like Paul because it, Paul says, even though I am bound like a criminal just for trying to show people the bigness of Jesus and the promises of the gospel, and people want to kill me for some reason over this, and he says, I, I'm not going to allow myself to get brought down by that. I, I may be bound like a criminal, but the word of God's not bound, and no matter where God puts me, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to remember Jesus Christ, and the word of God will go forth as the Lord decides. It will go forth, and I will praise him over this. And that's exactly what verses 9 and 10 are uh, all about. Look, this is my gospel. This is who Jesus is, and these are the promises. That's why I'm suffering. I'm bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Do whatever you want to me, Paul says, but what I have proclaimed will go on forever and ever. Therefore, I will endure everything for the sake of the elect. And the church will always be filled with the elect and the non-elect, those who are saved and those who ultimately are not saved. But I will suffer in the church for the sake of the elect, says Paul, and so must we, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Which brings us to verse 14. I don't like where the chapter or the division is in the ESV. Verse 14 then wraps this all together. Paul urges Timothy to make every effort to instill this perspective in the Ephesian church, which is what I've been endeavoring to do this morning. Make sure that when you're kneading the dough, that the leaven of Jesus Christ and the promises of his gospel is, is a part of that lump. Make it a part of the fabric of, of who you are as a church to keep your eye in the right place, your focus correct. Verse 14. Remind them of these things. What things? Well, the things that we've been talking about, that Jesus is the Christ. He was raised from the dead. He's the offspring of David. That when we believe that He is the, the Christ, then we're not denying Him and we will be 
saved through the faithfulness of Christ, that we will be raised with Christ, that we will be a, a living stone in the temple of the offspring of David, and that we will reign with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Remind the church of these things and charge them before God. Now think of it. I'm about to do what the text says. Charge the church before God. It means God is watching. God has been listening. And God is watching. And he, he knows not just our body language, but He knows our hearts. He sees our hearts. So before God, who searches our minds and our hearts and knows our souls, charge them not to quarrel about words. does no good just ruins the hearers that's just one example right but let us be a people then who don't quarrel about words why did you use this word and not that word let us focus on the big things not the small things not the trivial things the big things. And when we gather together, let us together remember Jesus Christ and allow nothing, nothing to distract us from the goal that Jesus has set for us. At all times, the church must keep the right perspective. It's so easy to be distracted by lesser things. Next time you sit down to pray, next time you sit down to read the Word of God, next time you get back into the same old rut that you don't even want to be in, open the Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ and focus on the promises of the Gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. This is amazing what you have done for us in Jesus. I pray that you would forgive us because we are so easily distracted by so many things inside and outside of the church, in our lives. We're distracted by pain and suffering. We're distracted by prosperity and worldliness. Uh, we're distracted by quarrels and strife. We're distracted by words. Lord, because you love us and because you are faithful, even when we are faithless, I, I am pleading with you boldly for a gift for this church. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit given to us to keep this 18th instruction. That we focus on Jesus Christ and all the promises of your gospel. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.